we had our Thanksgiving dinner last night, and in our family, I'm the one that cooks the turkey, mainly because, you know, Lori has so many other things to do and stuff, so I took on the cooking. So you just need to know if I can cook a turkey, anybody can cook one. It's all good. We've, uh, we're in a series of talks called The Second Mile. And remember Jesus, and this comes out of what Jesus said. He said, if somebody asked you to carry the load, and this was a soldier back in that day, and, you know, you got to carry it one mile. He says, well, carry it two. And here's what you find out. This is uh, found Matthew 5 to 7 is what we're studying. What you find out when you listen to what Jesus says about this stuff is that the second mile is actually better than the first. Now, it doesn't seem like it would be, but it is, and that's what you find out. Now, all this feeds into what we have decided that we are called to be. We're called to be transformed by the good news of Jesus. So that's good. God wants to transform the inner part of our lives and make us into loving people and people who then have a transforming influence in our, in our communities. And this, today we're going to talk about, is, uh, is a direct hit on that. Now, the title, it has to be the weirdest title of all. I was thinking about this. Do you want to be happy? Now, that's kind of a dumb statement, right? Do you want to be happy? I mean, is there anybody here who would say, you know what, I'm not really interested in happiness. I would just be fine without it, so on. Anybody? Okay, dumb title. Um, but the problem is that, and this is what I want to get at, is that we see all kinds of stuff that promises happiness, right? I mean, if you notice in any given week, you know, you've got somebody in some ad that's saying, no, 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 happiness is over here. See this SUV driving through the mountains and so on? You could be, you could have that SUV and that would make you happy. Well, it'll make you happy for a while, right? Until it gets old and starts to rust. Or somebody points and says, no, happiness is over here. You know, if you wear our makeup or if you use our hair, our shampoo or whatever it is, your skin will be soft and you will be happy. It just points all over the place. And the problem with happiness is that you know, what we get promised is many times not what we get. We get it for a while. What Jesus talks about when he talks about happiness goes a lot deeper than that. And, uh, and so that's what we want to talk about. Now, here's the thing. If you want to be happy and you aren't happy, then I would suspect, you know, you probably have tried in a number of different ways to be happy. I would suspect that you maybe don't know what makes you happy. That makes sense? Because what I have found, what you see in life, is you see that you know, happiness tends to go up and down. And Jesus, at the, very, at the front end of his message, and that's, that's really what we're dealing with here, is this whole thing of happiness. At the very front end of his message, that's what he's talking about. And he goes down through the whole thing. He says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed you know, are those who mourn, because they're going to be comforted. Blessed. And he goes down through this whole thing, and you think to yourself, well, you know, well, it's blessed. Well, blessed is the same word as happiness, and that's what he's really talking about. Now, we live in a culture that understands that we are looking for happiness, okay? Every marketer knows that. Now, if you think it's strange that Jesus, you know, that you, you know, maybe don't know him very well or know much about him or whatever, that he's telling you about happiness, we listen to strangers every day who are promising us happiness. And I would say that probably they've got a conflict of interest because, you see, they don't you, you, you may not know this, but they don't care about you. Like they're selling a product, and so they will tell you just about anything to sell their product. And they'll pay people to look happy and smile and jump up and down and so on. But when it comes to real happiness, what really lasts in our lives, they don't really care. 
Um, and there's a whole bunch of other things. There's this internal part of us, you know. We get hungry, you know, especially when we smell turkey cooking, right? And there's this internal system in us that says, you got to feed me. Like, you got to take care of this or you're not going to be happy. And so we feed it, which is normal, okay? Worry. Worry about our safety. Worry about the future. Worry about our health. And what worry says is if you, if you can settle me down, if you can solve these problems, you'll be happy. Um, there's just, you know, in curiosity, we, you know, we're curious about stuff, you know, and we think, well, if you can satisfy your curiosity, you know, you'll feel better about life or, or something like that. Now, these are appetites in our lives. And here's the truth about an appetite. You'll have to, I just apologize for my drawing right up at the top end, okay? I don't know if you know this or not. You feed an appetite and it grows. You know that, right? You know that, right? Like if you have an appetite for nice things, you know, and so on, you feed it and there will come a point where what you just got with that isn't going to satisfy you anymore and it grows. You feed an app, if you have, you know, drugs are your thing, you know, you, you take drugs and you feed it and it will grow and it will ultimately kill you. You have an appetite for sex, and you feed this, and so on, and you feed this, and it will grow. The other side to this is that if you feed other appetites, they grow too, you know? Remember Jesus said, when you hunger for what's right, when you want to do what's right, you feed that appetite, and it'll be satisfied, and you'll grow. So there's two sides to this. Now, here's what throws us off. Jesus deals with happiness from a totally different perspective. I mean, because you read this. You know, happy are the people who are poor in spirit. Happy are those who want to do what's right. Happy are those who are meek. Happy, and you go, you read down through this, and you think to yourself, "Well, that doesn't sound like happiness to me." What you're going to find out as we go through this is that what Jesus is saying is brilliant. It really makes sense. Now, if you uh, join the life groups this week, uh, that's what the focus is going to be. You're going to hear probably one of the best communicators, certainly not me, one of the best communicators on, in, in North America, I believe, talking about happiness. And what he asks is he basically says, what makes you happy? You ever thought about that? That's a good question. What makes you happy? What makes you happy? And one of the things he'll say, and I'm just going to give this to you ahead of time, is that happiness is not so much about what, because if your happiness is about what, that satisfies for a while. And then the what becomes, well, what next? This one's resting. This one's getting old. What next? He says, happiness is about who? We are relational beings. We are made in the image of a relational God. And it's, and it's our peace in our relationships, peace in our relationship with ourselves, and peace in our relationship with God that ultimately brings us happiness. Now, we, you know, again, the ads appeal to us, you know, and we think to ourselves, if I had that, I would be happy. And we are for a while, but it's just temporary. Everybody knows that, right? But we still do it, okay? Because we think, you know, if I had the upgrade on that or, or whatever, we think about that when it comes to experience. I mean, you ever long to go and do something like you want to visit Hawaii or you want to visit, you know, um, Australia and see all the snakes have poisonous snakes in your room and so on. You want, you know, you want to visit someplace, you want to visit some volcano or, or whatever. So you, you, know, you finally save up your money and then you finally do that. What happens next? Well, I've done that and I'm just so happy. I, I'm, I'm so content. Well, you, 
review your picks, you send them out to your friends and so on, and then you get into this thing of, okay, what next? What am I gonna, where am I going to go next? And that's the problem. Uh, tends to go up and down. Jesus was a happy person. And I, I heard one person say once that Jesus wasn't happy. He was holy. Well, he was holy too, but he was happy. And I'll tell you how I know that. He had a lot of people who didn't love God, who loved to hang around him. Okay. People, I don't know. Does anybody here enjoy being around people who are unhappy? I don't. So this gives me some idea. And at one point he said to his disciples, he says, I want you to have my joy. I want you to have my joy, which actually goes deeper than happiness. And joy tends to flow to us from, um, okay. What Jesus is talking about is we're going to have the up and down, like, you know, of, of life. So you have your first love, and then what happens? Well, you break up, you know, you know, oh, we broke up, doesn't love me anymore. And then, you know, you have your first car, you know, you're so excited to show all your friends and so on. And then there's rust or lots of payments, and that kind of sacks your joy, you know? And you have your first job, you know, and it's just great, you know, you're making money, and you get your boss, you know? And so that's a downer, you know? And you get your first home, you know? And then you get your payment book, and for the next 30 years, you're going to be paying for this home. That's downer, you know? You have your first child, you know? And then what happens is, you know, they're screaming in the middle of the night, and you're not getting any rest, and so on. And then they hit you know, they're twos and threes, and they're saying no to everything, you know, and then they hit their teenage years, and that's a whole other smoke, okay? So these are, these are the ups and downs of life. Joy, happiness, is what flows under the surface. And I'm telling you, that's what you go back to. That's, you know, that's where Jesus said, you know, you build your house on this, and it will be standing at the end of time. Now, some of you, and, and how he talks about this is, is very interesting. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what that means? This is what's really cool, because we, we tend to look at the beautiful people, we tend to look at the people who have lots, and we tend to look at them and think, well, you know, I wish I could have that, because then I'd be happy. What this means is happiness is available to everybody. Some of you right now are in mourning. You've had some sort of loss in your life, or you've lost a job, or you've lost money, or something has happened. You've got a loss in your life. And what this says is, this can keep you going. Even when you've lost everything, you can still be happy. You can still have joy at the very core of your life. You know, people in our world tend to think, you know, I should be able to just decide what I want to do. And Jesus, Jesus actually, in revealing God, he says, that's not a good thing. Can you imagine what it would be like if you served a God who changed his mind every day? So there's a center line down the highway. That's the stability of what God has said about life. You want a God who lays things out and says, this is where you need to go. Because this is, you know, how things are going to lead to where you want to be. You know, Jesus talks about anger. How does that have to, anything to do with happiness? Well, it's because if you're angry and you hold a grudge against somebody, that's one of the most unhappy feelings in the world. If that person happens to be in your house, <laughs> you're going to get a reminder every single day that you know, there's something to be unhappy about. And Jesus says there's a way to resolve that, and the way that you resolve that is through forgiveness. The way that you resolve that is getting rid of the grudge. Every person, even people who have the right to be angry, can be happy. Because there's a, there's a solution to the problem. Jesus warns about stuff that leads to lust and things like that. 
And we think to ourselves, well, you know, he's kind of, you know, ruining my fun. Really? You know what creates more regret and shame in our lives than just about anything else? It's where we stepped over the line in those arenas of life. You know, you see it, you know, you see it celebrated on the screen and, you know, and people talk about it, guys brag about it in the locker room. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, whenever you use somebody else for your own pleasure, there is a guilt. And if, you, and if you don't feel any sense of shame or guilt about that, then something is happening. You've burned off the nerve endings in your, in your conscience. Jesus is saying, you feel shame and regret down inside for what you've done. You know, there's forgiveness for that. But man, don't keep going in that direction. Because what you're going to end up with is more shame and more regret. Um, there's a, you know, you know, remember Jesus says, keep your promises. Don't make little excuses for why you can't keep them and stuff like this. You know why? This is powerful. Because he keeps his promises. That's what it means to love other people. That's what it means for him to love us. He keeps his promises. He keeps all of them. He said that he would be the good shepherd who would satisfy your needs, who would come looking for you when you lose your way, who would help you to make it through life and get home at the end of life. He promised, you know, that he can give you peace. That's what he's promised. He keeps his promises. He gives us peace down in our lives and shows us the way to peace. Whatever he face, he says, I will be there to help you through it. I'm never going to leave you alone by yourself. You may not see me, you may not feel my presence, but I will always be there. He promised that no matter where we've sinned and where we've failed and how bad it is and what other people think of us, he says, I will forgive your sins and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In other words, I will you know, not hold against you the stuff that other people hold against you. This is, this is a powerful, powerful thing. Jesus, in this whole series, is talking about God. Aren't you glad? You know, it goes to the end and it talks about the second mile. Aren't you glad that God loves his enemies? Aren't you glad that God, you know, doesn't, you know, treat people the way they treat him? Because, you see, that includes me. There have been times when I've been God's enemy. And I'm glad that he loves his enemies and he sends good things even to the people who don't treat him right. Jesus gets even more specific about, about this whole thing. He talks about, he talks about religion, talks about how it many times messes things up. Aren't you glad that God sees beyond hypocrites? That you can't scam God? That the people, you know, who can pray better, more eloquently than you, that doesn't mean that their prayers are more likely to get answered. Aren't you glad that he sees beyond all of that stuff? in our lives, and he knows what's real and knows what's true. Now, you know, I have to be careful, you know, because when I point a finger at anybody else, I've got three more pointing back to me, and I have a thumb that's undecided. So I think I know which way it would go. Jesus talks about judgment. He talks about us pointing a finger and judging other people. Has anybody here ever been tempted to think that God is kind of a neat freak? You know, that if he went into your house, he put on the white gloves and, you know, pull your fridge out and check behind your fridge and so on for dirt, and he'd be going through the corners and checking under the toilet and so on, that he's you know, kind of this person, that he's a germaphobe. Well, Jesus was God. That's not what you see. You know, when he walked, he wasn't picking lint off of people's togas. In fact, he said, don't judge. Don't feel that you need to, you know, pick on other people. You know, it's just incredible to understand, you know, who he is and what he's like. 
Then Jesus deals with worry. How many of you enjoy worrying about things? Like, you know, it just makes you feel so fulfilled to worry about your food or worry about the future or worry about your health. And, and so it's just, oh, it's just, I'm worried and it feels so good. Pretty awful feeling, isn't it? And Jesus says this, he talk, talking about the Father, he says, do you understand who God is? Do you understand that he's a father who loves you more than you could ever imagine? You drove in today and fall colors are pretty much at their height, which is, you know, unique to Canadian Thanksgiving, by the way, which is really good. By the way, I just heard this, you know, Charlie told me, did you know that Thanksgiving actually started in Canada and not in the U.S.? Like they, you know, they have the 1620 thing with the pilgrims and all that stuff, but apparently, apparently, Thanksgiving was celebrated here in 1578. So there you go. But you look at the colors. I mean, you look at anybody here, look at this stuff and, and realize God's saying, look at, look at how I painted things. And you're worried that I don't care whether you're, you know, your shoes and your purse match. He said, you know, that's what he makes. That's the statement that he makes. I care about these things. I care about beauty. So, you know, colors are wonderful. Don't try to wear them all at the same time. He, he, you know, he said, he said, if you knew who your father really was, if you knew what God was like and how he's watching over you, he said, you wouldn't worry. Isn't that good? Now, I could go on, and as you know, on and on and on and on, okay? But the final revelation about the father, based on what he asks of us, is that we treat other people the way we would want to be treated. And that's how God treats us. That's how he watches over us. Jesus, you know, he said this. He said, you know, if you want something, ask. Keep on asking. He said, if, you, if, you, if you're looking for something, he said, seek, you'll find it. He said, if it feels to you like all the doors are barred and locked and you can't get through, he says, knock, keep knocking and see what God does. Because he knows you and he cares about you. Now, this is, this is what Jesus is getting after in this whole thing is what do you really think about God? Because this really affects, you know, your, the whole Thanksgiving level in your life, whether or not you have a grateful heart. Because if all you see is your problems, so all you see is what you're worried about. So all you see is what other people have that you don't have. If all you see is, you know, the person who seems to have the perfect husband or the perfect wife or the perfect kids or the perfect situation or the perfect job. If that's all you see, you will be a very ungrateful person. You've got to get beyond that because life is more than that. Now, Jesus says at the end of his talk that if you build your life, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that if you build your life on what he has said about God, what he has said about reality, what he has said about life, what he has said about happiness, he said, if you do that, he said, your life will still be standing at the end of the day. And that's, I think, what everybody wants. Because you see, if you base your gratitude based on what you have at any given moment, then, you know, it's going to be up and down. Gratitude should be based on this right here. And here's, this is the reality check, okay? This is so important to understand. You cannot acquire or consume or exercise your way into happiness. And that's the message we get every, every day, right? 
You want a good body that looks like this? By the way, there are people who spend their lives working on their body like that's their full-time job. And here's the clue phone. You will never look like that. I will never look like that. There are people, you know, you know, when it comes to their beauty and their skin and their hair and stuff, that's their full-time job. They have nice hair, you know? And so that's what they work on every day. That's what, the, you know, they do hair stuff, hair commercials and stuff. There, there are things where you get promised things you cannot acquire or consume or exercise your way into happiness. It's a dead-end street. And if you try, you will be unhappy. Now, according to Jesus, you can be happy and grateful when you're at your lowest point, when you're grieving a loss. You can be happy and grateful in all these circumstances of life, which, as I mentioned before, is great news. So, if some joy and happiness and gratitude has at least touched your heart a little bit today. You know what your job description is? Anybody know? Well, it's to be grateful, first of all, right? But then it's to pass it on. And we pass on the gratitude that we feel through our generosity. Um, God shows his generosity by giving, you know, all of this, all that he's promised, all that Jesus has promised, his kindness and his forgiveness and, and healing. It's on to anybody who will just stretch out their arms to him and say, I need you. That's what he promises. See, he's infinitely good, and he just keeps on loving and giving and reaching out for us. And what he asks of us is, he said, would you just live with open hands? Because I'm going to anoint your head with oil, like it promises in Psalm 23. I'm going to anoint your head. I'm going to anoint you, and goodness and love is going to follow you. But if it's going to follow you, if it's going to get onto the trail, if it's going to get onto other people who walk beside you, you're going to have to live with open hands. Because if you try to close it off, and you try to keep it all for yourself. It's not going to get out to where it needs. Now, you remember, that's my favorite psalm, you know? Anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows, and so on. So you remember my favorite image, right? And many of you are sick of this. You can, go ahead, you can say it. I'm sick of it, Ken. Stop doing it. It doesn't mean I'll stop, but I, I at least know how you feel. It's the teapot, you know? Now, teapots are wonderful things. So... It's very simple to operate. I've been drinking tea for a long time. I had to stop drinking so much tea. I ended up with a kidney stone, and the doctor says, so how many cups of tea do you drink a day? I said, oh, I don't know, 10, 12, something like that. He said, because the kidney stone is made of that stuff. So you got to do something about this. So fortunately, I listened to him. So it's very easy. Making tea is very easy. You just throw the tea bag in, or if you're you know, a purist, you put tea leaves in there. Now, this water was hot when I put it in there, but it's not anymore. And you just pour this in, and then you put the lid on, okay? Now, what do you do with it then? You set it up on the shelf and say, such a nice teapot, I'm going to put it up there and look at it. Or you say, you know what, I'm concerned if I start pouring it out now, maybe I won't have enough for myself. So I'm just going to leave it around for six months, a year, or something like that, and then I'll start pouring it out. You end up with fuzzy tea bags, right? It's intended to be, you know, you steep it, or as some of my American friends say, you stoop it, you steep it, okay, you steep the tea, and, and then you go and you pour it out. See, the whole deal is, how are you going to put more in if you never pour it out? You can't. You know, and, and there are people who go through life, and it's kind of like, 
you know, well, I got this teapot, God, how come it's not getting full? Because it's already full. It's been sitting there for years and you've never poured anything out to anybody else. You pour it out while it's hot and you get it into somebody else's life. And it's then that God can fill the thing back up again. God keeps giving. He keeps, he'll take the lid off. Oh, good. It's all gone. I can't get the lid off. But anyways, you understand. So, so he says, okay, good. It's all gone. So now I can fill it up again. So go pour it out. We pour it out. I'm, uh, it's empty again. Okay. Well, I'll fill it up again. And that's what he does. You know what you think? If you, if you end up with this thing and you're sitting around waiting for him to do something while it's still full, it won't fill up because things can only be so full. The overflow of generosity is intended to come out of our lives. I don't know what I have next year, but anyways, okay. I, here's, the, here's the big thing, okay, and the thing that you ought to be grateful for. And you see this all through this message that Jesus preached. God is for you. You know how good parents love their children and help them and give them good food and don't put snakes on their plate and things like that? God is for you every single day, every single hour of your life for you. And that's something to be grateful for. And this is kind of the gratitude waterfall is what I've called it. It's the waterfall of goodness, you know. God is generous. We thank him for his generosity. He's poured into our lives. There's gratitude. And then we pour into other people's lives, and there's gratitude. And then we pour into other people's lives, and there's gratitude. And the gratitude, you see, you have to be thankful to somebody. And the gratitude keeps going back to God for the way that he changes lives. Are you happy? Are you happy? Because it's available to everybody. One final uh, thing. We, you know, we went to Israel a few years ago, and it was, I'm telling you, it was really cool. So waded in the Jordan River, you know, I just imagined what it was like back then, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was out there and, and got baptized in the Jordan River. So that was really cool. So I waded into the Jordan River. It was one of my great experiences. Then I went to Capernaum which is where Jesus lived for a while. And if you go there, Peter's house is still there. And I went down and just sat there on the beach where Jesus met with John and James and, you know, and with Andrew and Peter and just thought about them sitting right down there in that beach and washing their nets and ready to go out fishing. It was just an incredible experience. What's interesting about this, about Israel, is that um, there's the Sea of Galilee, and if you've ever been there, you know, we tend to think, oh, there's fishing boats out there, you know, and, and there are nets, still nets. Well, actually, people were, you know, jet skiing and swimming and water skiing. It's not like it's active, and it's, there's people that are out there fishing and doing all kinds of things. Very active place. So the Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee, okay? And then it flows out of the Sea of Galilee and goes about 75 miles south, and it ends up in the Dead Sea. And they call it the Dead Sea because it's a dead end. And it's filled up with salt, like you go there. And it's really cool because there's salt coating all the rocks and everything like that. But I'm telling you, you don't want to take a drink of that stuff. And, you know, I mean, it's apparently good for face mask. You get the mud and smear it all over yourself. And it's apparently good. I didn't try, but apparently it is good. But I'm telling you, you don't want to drink it. And what's interesting about this is it has this water continually flowing into it, flowing into it, flowing into it with the Jordan River. And it dead ends there. You'd be thinking, man, this thing would be filling up and filling up. You know what's happening? It's shrinking. It's shrinking. I'm telling you, folks, that's what happens to our life when there's nothing that's flowing out of us. We're just like, you know, 
feed me, feed me, feed me, you know, help me, help me, help me, you know. We just want to consume all the God products and just have it all for ourselves and just sit there. And I'm telling you, what will happen is your life will shrink and your heart will shrink. And that does not lead to happiness. Happiest people are the people whose hearts are growing. Okay? You cannot consume, acquire, or exercise your way into happiness. Happiness is not about what you own or what you have or what you get. Happiness is about the relational world that you have. It's really interesting. You know, I've done a lot of funerals. I've been, you know, people's bedside while they were dying and when they died and so on. You know what I've never seen? I've never seen a person who's dying saying, could you, could you just take me out so I can sit in my car one last time? Could you bring me my golf clubs because I want to remember, you know, these wonderful golf games that I had? Or could you bring me my shoes? You know, I need to wear them just one last time. People talk about their relationships. Happiness is related to who more than it is 